Welcome to Evolution of AI with Reese Jones. Dive deep into the intricate world of artificial intelligence, exploring its origins, its impact on our culture, and its future trajectory. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about AI and religions or AI religions. It's an amorphous topic. Hopefully, it'll spark some ideas and discussion, perhaps. Religions are basically a script for culture, like a set of rules, and sometimes also involves worship. And I would say these are two separate things, like the rules of a religion and whether or not that some sort of worship element is, is combined. The worship part may be something about how well it's integrated into a person and their behavior. And the rules are something that are like the genes of different uh, species, and they evolve by natural selection much the same way as species. Since the rules are one thing and how you treat them or the practices that you treat them with is another. And so religion is cultural. It's a written down cultural system. And it tries to incorporate the path or the way to live or, or it's something that has evolved over many centuries, of course. And it's co-mingled with spirituality and values and other things of this nature, but there's not one, there's many. And AI is going to affect this. Implicit in the rules is a, a framework of values and priorities about guiding you how you should behave and distinguishing what's right and wrong. And these are often integrated into life with practices in different forms, but there's many religions and new religious movements. And as we've talked about before, it's how cults become culture and how tribes become structured. And many religions have a concept of a god. And uh, Einstein has a famous quote that he, when he was asked if he believes in God, and he says he, he believes in Spinoza's God. And Spinoza distinguishes that, that God is not something that is separate from nature and that God and nature are the same thing. And that they're in a lot of religions, God is separate from nature, and that leads to some level of confusion. But this is one point of view that everything is God and God is natural. And that's like the religion of Spinoza that Einstein mentions, and which includes science as part of nature. And the Dalai Lama has, has said that if science discovers something or proves something that is inconsistent with Buddhism, then Buddhism is what has to change, not, not the science. The concept of genes and memes evolved from uh, Richard Dawkins' famous book in around 76, 1976, that introduces the concept that there's nobody up in charge that it's a bottom-up phenomenon of pieces of information, and each one are fighting for survival and to reproduce and propagate. And that genes, as expressed in biochemistry and DNA, are analogous to memes, which are expressed in ideas and information. And they both work on a similar mechanism where the sexual reproduction of genes creates a new person from the genes of the parents. And uh, this is true of memes as well, where they're combining ideas from different sources uh, to create a, a new combined one. And so 
the genes and the memes are the essence of a person in biology. And this is starting to be uh, accelerated and change with uh, internet and AI and uh, other things like this that we'll get into. And so there's uh, the anti-religious movements that are uh, positions that their religions uh, are based on belief are bad. And then there's the uh, kind of anti-science movements where the belief that science is bad and these are uh, creating a, a, a lot of problems in society in that they're both the anti-religion and the anti-science are dualistic concepts that are against something as opposed to what are the positive things about religions and science. And the people who are bought into one anti or another anti tend to get into to extremism and assume there's conspiracy theories against their concepts and that if something is bad, then everything about it is bad and an alternative must therefore be good. So you get the kind of anti-science movements mixing in with the pro-science movement. And the main difference is whether or not the idea has been error checked and that the scientific method is to check for errors and ideas. And so the society, some people say we're moving into a post-fact society where, or post-truth society where uh, everything is an opinion and they're all equal. And of course, they're not equal. Some are supported by evidence and some are not. And however, in the public discourse, the difference between a fact and a fake are starting to blur as a matter of opinion that are all created equal, that all have equal weight, even though one supported by evidence and the other is not. And so this can even get more extreme where you have science fairs, of course, where people are familiar with showing ideas and demonstrating experiments that have consistent results. But there's the movement of anti-science is uh, going towards my alternative facts and alternative beliefs are equally valid to those backed by evidence. And and this can lead to, to problems, of course. But where does all these religions and fact-checked religions like science come from? And that's uh, acknowledging that that people are not individuals. They're part of a an ecosystem and part of a cooperative with their family and their tribe. And the tribe gets organized into culture, and, and the culture is the genetic code of memes that are make up a, a certain species of culture, but they're subject to natural selections. And so there's basic survival, which humans have evolved from, and other species still exhibit, or packs of dogs and pods of killer whales and things of that nature. But the different cultures have different attributes and, and they evolve as well. And so the code in the case of biology is genes to memes. And this is reminiscent of computers where I once uh, have a friend who, who is in his 90s and he's been involved in computers intimately for all of his life. And I asked him, what is the thing that in your life, in your 90s years old life, that uh, was the most important invention that you saw. And, and he, his opinion at age 90 was the invention of software, where which before, say, the 
60s or, or so, most of computers were hardware. And it's relatively a recent invention that software was added to hardware. And that's a non-way to make the hardware function different, differently. And so as memes are starting to become more prominent than genes, and software is becoming more prominent than the hardware uh, in terms of our experience of, a, of interacting with something, it's likely that AI is becoming a more flexible version of software where AI is software, of course, but it's, Bill Gates had a term called softer software where it's adaptive and changing and then it's not as rigid as the way we uh, think of interacting with software now. And the CEO of Intel had a, a quote that I think was him. He says that, that all good software eventually becomes hardware. So software that's been worked out in the world, in the marketplace, and adapted and upgraded and tested and so forth, eventually certain elements of it become so predictable and consistent, you can implement them in hardware. It'll be much faster and cheaper and so forth, but less changeable. But it's a, a trend that to distinguish well, what's good software is software that's worthy of implementing as hardware. But that's a push trend uh, on the, the evolution of, of complexity and then almost analogous to uh, the nerves connecting to each other. And then you use them and some of the nerves gets pruned out, but other nerves get reinforced with uh, myelin sheaths that the nerves that are used the most have a insulator around them that have them work faster, more reliable, but it costs more energy to make them that way. And so that's like myelinated nerves are like the hardware of biological software and brain thinking. And then Mark Andreessen has a saying that, that software is eating the world, that because the software is adaptable and flexible, unlike the hardware, that the the expansion of the edge of technology is is software because it can move faster and adapt better. And so the software is eating the world. And then whether AI is eating the software uh, is yet to be seen, but uh, indications are that it is. And so this is this evolution that we've talked about previously about uh, intelligence, which is based on memory and compute as, as exhibited by grandmothers who have the cultural memory of memes that, and, and the processing to apply them to new circumstances. It's like the memory, and then you add in electricity and then AI, which is smart electricity, to improve the memory, to improve the processing, to improve the effectiveness and, and how adaptive the memes are. And so this transition from fixed mechanical hardware that electricity runs on to software is being accelerated by AI. And the evolution of tools is accelerating things uh, as well. And so also humans as an individual, they're not uh, very fit to most ecosystems. They're actually individual humans or small groups of humans are actually prey. And the thing that makes them an apex predator in many ecosystems is cooperation. And so without cooperation, humans are actually pretty vulnerable. But group cooperation, especially with tools, is what's enabled humans to expand so aggressively in virtually all ecosystems. Um, and so there's the ecosystem that defines what can exist there 
And there's the individual, which is pretty vulnerable, but the individuals collectively work in genetically related families. And so that's the first group or collective. And with language, you can shift more from genetic inheritance to meme inheritance, and you can develop a tribe that might be highly related, but might also include people who are not so related. And that tribe develops a culture and that culture is, it's unique, but it's also, there are other variations or other cultures and tribes that are dealing with the more persistent aspects of memory and computing. And so that's, the culture becomes religion as it scales. And so the scaled religions that have been around are those that sets of memes that create a culture that survives better over the long haul. And so the surviving religions tend to be ones who have a set of rules that is fixed and, and tells a story about how to survive better and how to reproduce more, but also how to conflict with other alternative cultures. And, and so Often in surviving religions are sacred texts or sutras or way of things. And there's many of them that uh, um, a popular one is Bibles. And of course, there's the Aramaic Bible and the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there's many different Bibles. And then the Bibles are translated into many different languages. And so they're more or less consistent, but they're not exactly the same. And other religions have sacred texts and so forth that keep them along. But as you add error checking and fact checking to things, you get basically science and then things like Wikipedia and AI or the corpus of knowledge on the Internet. And these are structures that are data structures that have error checking from scientific method and then are accessible but things like science and Wikipedia designed to integrate new ideas and keep the old ideas refreshed. And so there's, even though Dharma teachings and the way of things and sacred texts have ways that they evolve and they improve, they're slow at doing that. And so some of the tools like Wikipedia or chatbots can be modified uh, rather rapidly because the pace of change of needing to modify the facts is also accelerating. And we've also talked previously about the half-life of facts of, of how things that we think are right today are, are half of them are likely wrong. And it just takes years or decades to figure out so what's wrong, what needs to be modified. But that modification comes uh, both from evidence proving that it's wrong, uh, but also from survival of the collection of thought or the culture as to whether or not it, it's reproducing or not. And so the, these are evolving things uh, a bit more like life. And so a, an example of evolution of the set of a religion is like Catholicism was challenged by Martin Luther with the Reformation, where here he is nailing on the church door a, a, a modified set of rules or amendments to the prior set of rules that became essentially Protestants splitting from Catholics. So it's a speciation event in a religion or to making two religions that are closely related. So there's cousins, but the concept that a religion is fixed and factual and true and immutable has been proven that that's the conservative view of many things, but it doesn't adapt to change very well. And 
people believe in the unchangeability of their religion so strongly that they'll have uh, religious jihads and uh, crusades and other ways to go kill people who have a slightly different view of the validity of a set of ideas. And so uh, religions have bifurcated many times. There's many different strains of religion that have some common origin in a tribal cultural setting, but there's 4,300 different religion belief sets. And some people believe 4,299 of them are wrong. Uh, And some of these belief sets create a a circumstance where you have a boundary of sort of us who agree on things or us as part of a family or a tribe or a culture or a religion is against them who are the apostate who maybe disagree. And so creates a dualistic conflict of us and them. And this is related to sort of nationalism, whereas it, as it evolves from a religion as the set of ideas into a nation state promoting a set of ideas that is of us and them, where uh, it just becomes a language thing where they're obviously are, they're all people, but us becomes the good guys and the them becomes the bad guys. And they're the same, but they use different language to talk about each other. So this uh, can be taken to a different perspective as you zoom out, where you have the us and them and a little piece of land. And as you zoom out to look at who are the us and who are the them from a global scale or a solar system scale, and that they're actually the same thing, but People are willing to kill each other over the minor nuances of the differences of the religion that most people can't even uh, detect. But there's this belief that there's a conflict. And then the religions often carry with them art iconography where to simplify the language, you turn certain images into iconographic meaning, like a flag, but also the different kind of ways to communicate which group to follow or to believe in. So this is religious iconography that also, uh, it's a whole nother story we can talk about sometimes. <laughs> but uh, religions can cause harm and these belief uh, us and them distinctions can cause uh, violence. And so imagine if there were the force that were causing this violence and separation and us them thinking no longer were the case. And there was more agreement about the similarities than conflict about the differences. So the governments are getting more into the religious game in a way. So, for example, the Chinese government social credit score system, where we have in the U.S. a credit score system, and it functions similarly. But the Chinese are integrating it more into the government and the money and the laws and the privileges in regular society to exert power and control over society. And the reason that people accept it and even like it is their view is it increases safety, where you tolerate the power and control over you going through security to get on an airplane after having had a background check. We're scrutinizing your behavior and your history and your uh, privacy being violated, obviously, to do that. But the the airplane flight will be safer because uh, of the the control and power over who gets on the flight. And so the AI applied to security and safety requires identifying the people, requires tracking their behavior. 
and then judging whether or not they're safe. And so in China, this is from a couple of years ago, the system tracks your spending and your phone use and what your comments on social media are and how you treat the service providers and your friends and family, and then makes decisions, automated decisions about whether or not you should be allowed certain privileges in society. And so this is a bit like the indulgences of the Catholic Church that the Protestant Martin Luther Reformations were to stop, but it's, uh, it's automating the transgressions and the consequences of them. And then uh, whether it's objective, people want it to be objective unless it applies to them. And so it's, it's a complicated area of sort of social credit scores. But as of a few years ago, already millions of people were banned from being able to go on airplanes or trains or stay in certain hotels or even for their children to go to certain schools based on their social credit score and a little bit more strictly enforced in China, experimental. But of course, we have the same thing here. If, if you have a low credit score, it's hard to get your children into a good school. And so it's not uh, that much different than the things that every government does. It's just accelerating in its uh, impact. And so people have a, a credit score that you can look at based on their behavioral data, but also based on current data. Did you jaywalk today? Your credit score goes down. And if you helped uh, somebody across the street, your credit score goes up. And so it's a continuously modifying thing that the immune system responds to. But this is also the same is true in biological chemistry, where you have uh, different cells in your body that are either behaving and, and are fed or are misbehaving and the immune system kills them. And so it's a multicellular organism, immune system type uh, response that uh, is coming to the Internet um, uh, and our phones. And all of these things are basically an individual to uh, being part of a cooperation or being adversarial to the cooperation. But the thing that makes humans survive is the cooperation. And the social structure and religions are there to enforce that. And these are in lots of species. Cooperative hunting, for example, is, is seen in dolphins or packs of dogs or tribal humans where they're much more effective collectively and getting food than they would be as individuals. We talked previously about the, the killer whales attacking sailboats, and, and they don't do this alone. They, they seem to work in cooperation. And so it's a new phenomenon, but it, it's even more in the news where another boat near Scotland was, was uh, attacked. And so this culture is basically a set of rules that prevent non-cooperation. And non-cooperation is powerful. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi was famous for non-cooperation with the British Empire that changed the structure of things. And the sort of take-home of today is it, if the internet merges all the sacred texts from the many different religions, it becomes an aggregate religion, but it, it's really the, it's about cooperation or preventing non-cooperation. And so the religions or the nation-state governments are, are, are related to this. And so these cooperation things are, are done with guardrails. So the religions teach a certain way of cooperating and, and preventing non-cooperation. 
but nation states with their legal systems and criminal systems and then education, what's how things are taught in schools or even whether people should go to school. But then the media that if the media is inconsistent with the rules that the nation state or the religion or the education are trying to follow, it'll be adjusted. And many of these things, the priority for them is rules around breeding and family, because that's what allows things to persist. But the news recently with cancel culture and wokeness are skirmishes on the front lines of rules where the culture is pushing forward and pushing back of new or or different ideas uh, as being an acceptable modification to all these guardrails or too much. And interestingly, some of the religious right are the most vocal about the anti-woke movement, but this white Anglo-Saxon Protestant painted a Jewish guy is, of course, teaches about wokeism. And so it's an ironic situation. But some of these rules are... ecosystem specific where in Eskimo tribes, for example, when somebody is near their end of life and they're not feeling productive, they'll in the family igloo, they'll get up and walk out into the snow alone. And the the family doesn't stop them and they don't push them. But for the grandmother to say, get up and leave the igloo, the rest of the family knows that it's for the family's best of survival for that to happen, that that the calculation has been made by the grandmother that she's not adding as much value as she's costing and the risk to their survival. So the survival of her family would be better if she disappeared. And this is seen as something to prevent in modern society in in an abundant ecosystem, but on the fringes, like in Eskimos, uh, when somebody is, is close to death, they don't have hospitals. They put them on an ice floe and they drift out and, and are never seen again. And nobody knows the details or nobody witnesses the details of what happens to them, but they basically don't come back. And this is seen as normal, ethical, necessary for survival in that ecosystem. And when you have more resources, you can take care of people at the fringe, but when the resources are tight, the morals and values adjust to dispose of them. Other values and rules are inbreeding that a lot of structures around culture and religions are about who you should breed with. And inbreeding creates a lot of problems. The problems are not immediately obvious in even one or two generations, but some of the rules about who you have sex with and who you breed with are defined on or created from variations on that, where if you breed too closely in or inbreeding, you get longer-term defects that create the people who follow that set of rules about breeding as defined maybe in their culture or their religion. You, you create birth defects that then eventually creates a weaker survival rate for that set of rules. And so Things like taboos evolved to prevent that from happening. And those are the societies that survive. And it's not just in humans, in other uh, species as well. But there's some of these, how the rules are set, take a long time to figure out and then take a long time to change. And so some examples are genetic fears and genetic rules. And so there's certain things like fear of snakes or spiders or rodents are something that the people who didn't have that fear didn't survive in that ecosystem. 
And so that fear they uh, have genetically, but they also build it in strongly into their culture and into their religion that some of these things are bad. And there's certain things that might be detrimental to the individual. But for example, if you're being uh, attacked or bitten by a, a lion, do you scream out or do you be silent? So like if you make a scream, the lion will even concentrate more attention on attacking you. But emitting a, a scream that deers and many other animals do this is something that is alerting your tribe or your family or your culture or your religion that something bad is happening. And in many cases, it, it can't be stopped. It's already too late. But when you're making that scream for help, uh, there's a possibility your tribe will help you. But there's also a phenomenon in many species where a dying individual or one being attacked, the others that aren't being attacked gather around and witness what's happening and learn from it. So I shouldn't do that. <laughs> but there's no particular benefit to the suffering one being attacked to scream out as an individual, but there is a benefit to their gene pool, which is their other friends who are witnessing that to alert them that this is uh, going poorly. And so this is something that a lot of animals do, not just humans. And another example is what is death? And do you bury the person immediately or do you give a few days uh, or some time before you do that? Because there are experiences where people getting back up in a couple of days and that gets integrated into the culture and the history that might happen. So you should not do things irreversible too soon. And so the, these are the biological basis of behaviors and getting into the thinking basis or things that you learn or things that the grandmas tell. And this is getting augmented by essentially culture that remembers these things over a longer time and then checks them with science as to are they reproducible or, or so forth. So the concept of what is a person is not just their body and their ideas and their thinking in their self, but also the what culture do they come from and what is more of the information about them, their social credit score and so forth. And so the, the main take home is as the internet's uh, AI large language models collect uh, languages and then form an aggregate opinion about ideas. The uh, things like Wikipedia or the information that's on the internet or Google is an aggregate of all the different things that came before and not just the lineage of one culture, one religion or another. And so the concept of whether you adopt that blended reality of what is the best rules or you stick with an, a subset of that is natural selection will tell us which is better. And so there will be many different, so just there's many different species that have different characteristics. There's many different religions and many different cultures that have different characteristics. And some will survive, but most will go extinct uh, because of that. And as we move more from biological information into digital information, these things are, are accelerating faster and becoming more complex. And so that's some thoughts about religion and AI. Thank you for uh, joining us on Evolution of uh, I with Reese Jones. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Stay connected as we continue to explore the fascinating world of AI. Until next time, keep questioning, keep exploring.